0: Good morning. Good morning. From not a mother. Um, But to those of you who are moms this morning, a special greeting to you. Uh, We wanted to spend some time just celebrating uh, moms this morning, and so if you're a mom, we wanted to celebrate you. It's a tough job that you have. It is, honestly, and, and I'm not just saying this because you're here. Uh, it's one of the toughest jobs, I think, on the planet to be a mom. And we wanted to say, you've got this. Um, and also to recognize what makes it so tough. So it, it's this job, right, mom, but it's a multitude of jobs that are under this umbrella of what it means to be a mom. And uh, so I had a mom, so I, kn- I, you know, I got to watch her do it. I, uh, lived with a mom for the last 27 years. Marilyn has been a mom to our boys. And so uh, as I was thinking about the jobs connected with that, I put together a a little list. It's by no means complete, um, but just some things that I think go into the job of mom. So moms are caregivers, activities directors, Uber drivers, economists, crisis counselors, party planners, waste management engineers, (laughs) psychologists, job foreman, restaurateur, chief investigator, comforter, the list goes on and on and on of the roles that moms play. It's a demanding job. There is no time off, really. And too often, your clients are unhappy with your performance, <laughs> right? It's, it is a tough job. And as we just saw, everybody has an opinion about how to do it right. And so I know a lot of you walk around with anxiety about, am I getting this right? Am I doing too much of this or not enough of that? And, and, uh, and all of that, I remember when our kids were small and Marilyn would lament saying something like, I know Josh is going to end up on Oprah telling the world what a terrible mom I was. <laughs> I thought I was a great dad. She thought she was a terrible <laughs> mom, right? Right? What I've discovered, I think, um, is that there is a broad spectrum of ways of parenting well. There are a lot of ways to parent well that may look different from one another. And they have to do with who you are as a parent and who you are as parents, and who your child is, you know, that informs part of how you approach parenting. So there's a lot of ways to do parenting well. The one thing, my one piece of advice, because you got to give at least one and that is you want to get the main thing right. And so we tried to keep in perspective when we were raising our boys that we were not raising children, we were raising adults. They're only children for a short period of time. And so we wanted to instill in those children values that would serve them well as men. And so one of the things that I hear often, and I I understand where the sentiment comes from, but but just a caution. If you find yourself saying, all I want is for my children to be happy, I wanna encourage you not to make that your highest value. Because happiness is inherently selfish, it's my happiness what makes me happy, and it's fleeting, right? What makes me happy today may not make me happy tomorrow and I'm in an endless pursuit of happiness and the world isn't designed for your child's happiness. I think there's a higher value. It's not that you don't want your kids to uh, enjoy life and so forth, but there is a higher value. And the way I would describe it is good. Want for your kids that they would be good. That gives them a little more outward focus. And by good for me and for us, for my family, for us as Christ followers, good is a life that honors God that seeks to live by God's will and by God's way, to seek those as priorities in raising your kids, to instill those values. And what they will find is that those values will serve them well throughout their lifetime and will often result in them finding, if not happiness, certainly joy. So one other job that moms have and that is conflict negotiator if you're a mom you are a conflict negotiator if you're a mom with multiple siblings it's even more complex cuz you've got kids who are in conflict with each other so the the kids your kids are in conflict with each other they're in conflict with their friends they're in conflict with their teachers they're in conflict with their coaches they're in conflict within they're in conflict with you You're a conflict negotiator. So what we've been talking about in this series, this three-week series, is conflict and how we handle conflict in our lives. And what we've said is that one, conflict is normal, right? It's not unusual. Conflict is not unusual. If you're in relationship with other people, conflict is gonna be normal even within the church, maybe especially within the church. Conflict is normal. We bring different perspectives, we bring different priorities, we bring different personalities and plans, and when we bring ours together with others, it's natural that there would be conflict. So it's a normal kind of thing. We've also been saying that conflict is an opportunity to make things better. Conflict is an opportunity to make things better. It's not a guarantee, but it's an opportunity if we move through conflict well. We've been, again, looking at the book of James to give some insights into this area of conflict and how we, how we move through conflict well in a God-honoring kind of way. And in the first week, Pastor Steve talked about Uh, chapter 1 and our use of words, the tongue, the things that we say. And we can say things that are constructive or we can say things that are destructive. And so we have to pay attention to our use of words. And then last week I was talking about what's going on within me so what am I, what's going on inside me that I'm bringing in to whatever conflict that I find myself in? And so this whole idea of what's going on in me, what's, what's driving me, what's driving my behavior, I want to continue on that theme as we close out this series this morning. Uh, because this is the essential part of doing conflict well, I believe. So moving into the fourth chapter of the book of James... We wanna look at two sections of the fourth chapter. The first section is verses one through three, and then uh, the second section will be six, six through 10. So here's what James one through three says, and the words will be up on the screen. What causes the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have so you scheme and kill to get it you are jealous of what others have but you don't get it so you fight and wage war to take it from them yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it and even when you ask you don't get it because your motives are wrong you want only what will give you pleasure or make you happy. What causes all of this conflict around you? What's the first thing James points to? You have stuff, what he describes as evil desires inside of you. It's what's inside of you that's driving some of the conflict. So often when it comes to conflict, we immediately want to focus out. We want to focus on them and what they're doing and what their motives are and all of that kind of stuff. James says, what's going on inside of you? You have these desires that are not aligned with God's desires for you. And then he talks about three things that result from these evil desires. Envy, jealousy, and anger. Envy says you don't deserve what you have. That as you look at somebody else, your attitude, your mindset is they don't deserve that. That's envy. Jealousy says I want what you have. You have that, but I want it. Jealousy. And then anger is just this energy around that, these feelings of um, hostility toward the person who has the things that you think they don't deserve or that you want. So he identifies these three areas. Have you ever heard of the seven deadly sins? That's Sims. that's a different thing. The seven deadly sins, that's three of them. Envy, jealousy, and anger. So part of what's going on is what's inside of you. Not what the other person's doing, not what they're saying. It's what's going on inside of you. Look, at again, look again at what uh, he wrote in verse 3. And even when you ask, you don't get because your motives are wrong. In all of this, did you notice who's left out? God. We've left God out of the equation. We don't have because we don't ask God. I don't want to think about God in the midst of a conflict. I'm thinking about what I want and what they have. Not about God. So my motives may be messed up. What's driving my behavior, what's driving my actions, what's driving my attitudes may be wrong and that's part of what might be driving the conflict. So where do we go from there? Here's the revolutionary idea when it comes to successful walking through a conflict. It begins with me, right? Me and God. What's going on in me and how does that connect with who God is and what God desires? I want it to be about the other person. I want it to be about how wrong they are. I want it to be about me Winning, But the revolutionary idea is a different perspective that I start with what are the desires, what are the motives that are going on inside of me? And are those right motives and right desires? So to start there, to make that your beginning place when you are dealing with a conflict requires something of us. And that thing, that key, if you will, is described in the next part of James 4. So six through 10, there is um, this key idea and it's stated in these verses. And it's a particular word and it appears three different times. So we're gonna read this, we're gonna read it together out loud. And I want you to see if you pick up on what this key word is, all right? So, James, uh, it's actually the second half of verse six. And uh, we'll read through 10. All right, so let's do this together. Words are on the screen. Did you catch the word? Humble, yeah, humble. You didn't know the moms, but you got humble. Good for you. Humble yourself. God opposes the proud. God lifts up the humble. Humble yourselves before the Lord. What does that mean? That means I put my desires, my will, my way second. And I put God's will, God's desires, God's way first. I have to humble myself. And so often we don't wanna do that, right? Like I just wanna win this fight. I wanna win this conflict. I want things to go my way. And so I don't wanna hear from God. I don't wanna deal with God. And it creates all kinds of bad motives and bad actions and bad words and, and does damage to relationships. It can do damage to organizations, it can do damage to churches. Because I want my will and my way. So it's a call, a challenge for us to put ourselves second and to put God first. The opposite, James said, of humility is the world. So he describes this, this conflict that we have within us between God's way and the way of the world. The way of the world is just that. It says, I'm the most important one. My way is going to be the way that prevails and I'm going to do whatever I have to do in order to win this conflict, right? It's the survival of the fittest kind of approach to life. And James calls us to a different standard. Put my will second, my way second. Humble myself so that I can hear from God. Can I tell you a little secret? Right. Just you and me and the next service and whoever listens on the podcast and the YouTube channel, but just, just us. All right. Most of the times the conflict in my marriage has gone badly is when my focus was on me what's best for me not what's best for my wife not what's best for my marriage not what's best for my family but what's best for me and that doesn't go well and that's not really the way God designed marriage you know the way God designed marriage it's described in Ephesians chapter 5 and it starts with verse 20 and it says this submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit yourselves to one another. In other words, I'm supposed to put my wife's best interests ahead of my own. That's humility, right? I put her interests ahead of my own. That's humility. When you have two people in a marriage who are doing that, that that's their commitment because of their love for Christ, that's a deep and intimate marriage where she's looking out for my best interest so I don't have to. And I'm looking out for her best interest so she doesn't have to. And our fights then become, no, no, we're not doing, that's what I would wanna do, I wanna do what you wanna do. No, no, you, that would be the great fight, right? But that's the idea of of this kind of humility. That I'm putting my interests second. That I'm willing to look at God's way first and not my own desire first. So in considering conflict, kind of going from the the first thing, what's the win? So when it comes to conflict, What's the win? Getting my way? Is that the win? Not really. You may win a particular conflict, you may get your way, but what, what damage was done in that? Right? That's not really the win. The win in conflict is that through your words and through your actions, through your attitude, in the midst of that conflict, you demonstrated your love for God that no matter what the outcome was, that the way that you conducted yourself through the conflict demonstrated your love for God. One of my all-time heroes, truly one of my heroes for my entire adult life was Martin Luther King Jr. Martin Luther King Jr. entered into a national conflict and in the midst of it, he became the target for people's anger and fear and resentment. He took on hostility and violence toward himself and those who were around him. But as he moved through that conflict, his focus was on demonstrating the love of God, his love for God and God's love for people. And so while he lost battles along the way in the civil rights movement, he moved the needle on that in our country because through his demonstrated love for God, he held up a mirror on our country and on us. And so many of us, as we looked at that, went, wow, that's not who I want to be. That's not who we are. And things began to change. Bless you. So the win is that on the other side of the conflict that you demonstrated your love for God through the ways that you conducted yourself. To achieve the win what's required of you? Humility. Right? God's will God's way first putting others ahead of myself and that is a process that I talked about last week how do I how do I stay humble because this isn't you know these aren't like one-time events like all right I'm gonna do God's will and God's way and then I go through or I'm gonna be humble and I go through that there's this kind of ongoing process that I have to go through as I'm going through the conflict And I talked about that last week, right? Look in, look up, look out. Look in, what's going on within me? What's going on in my heart? What are my motives in this? God, show me what those things are. Talked about two scriptures, right? Psalm 139. Test my heart, God. Know my heart. Test Test my intentions. See if there's any wicked way in me. Lead me in your ways. Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, oh God, and a loyal spirit. So that's an ongoing process of looking in and looking up. And then I begin to look out. What's going on with the person that I'm in conflict with? What's, what's their motivation? What are they trying to get? What, what is it that they're about? and not always assuming the worst about those folks and their motives and assuming the best about our own. So that's all the prep. That's just preparing you for the conflict, right? You haven't even entered into it yet. Right, you're dealing with, What's the win? Let's be reminded of what the win is. I've gotta be humble, so I've gotta do some internal work. What's going on in me? What's, what's God calling me to, to recognize about what's going on in me right now? How do I understand what this other person's going through? And then I'm in a good place to enter into the conflict in a way that might actually make things better. Better for them, better for us, better for others. Okay? So Jesus had this great um, goal when it came to conflict. Restoration. Conflict, it divides us. Jesus' goal in conflict, managing conflict, was restoration. That we would be united together. Reunited together. That our relationship would be whole and healed and stronger. That was Jesus' goal when it came to conflict. And so he gave us this model to follow. And it's described in the 18th chapter of Matthew. Okay, you can read it for yourself, but let me describe what the process looked like. looks like. It starts with, go to the person that you're in conflict with one on one. So you've got your head space right, you know, you've done all of this pre-work, now you go to the person that you're in conflict with one on one, it's amazing how radically different this is from what we would often do, right? You're in conflict with somebody and you're talking to everybody else but the person you're in conflict with, right? You're talking about them, you're talking about the situation, you're talking to you know, everybody who will listen, but not talking to that person. We've all done it. But Jesus says, no, when you're in conflict, the first person you should talk to is that person with whom you're in conflict with. And it's amazing, sometimes that's all that it takes. Years ago, I was in conflict with another pastor he had done something that, um, that offended me, that, that hurt what we were trying to do here, I felt, and, and I just couldn't believe it. I was so upset, so angry with this person, and, um, and I just harbored this anger for weeks. And I finally you know, felt the conviction of, you know what, I, I, I actually need to deal with him. I need to confront him on this. I need to have this conversation. It's probably not going to go well, but I need to have it. So I set up an appointment. We got together. I told him what had happened and how that affected me. And he immediately said, I am so sorry. He said, I have been in a really bad way over the last year. Some stuff going on in my life personally. And so I wasn't even involved in that decision that you're talking about. I should have been, but I wasn't. And I am so sorry about how that got, that went. And it just completely changed everything. A- an hour later, we were, we were great, you know? Like we, were, we had restored the friendship. We understood each other. I was able to pray for him. It was great, right? But it doesn't always go that way. Right? But that's where we start We start, you go to the person that you're in conflict with Jesus said If that doesn't work, you're not done All right? So I tried it, it didn't work, I'm done with that person It doesn't go that way Because restoration is the goal So if that doesn't work Then find one or two other people Wise people That can come with you And together you try and work that through And so I, again, I, look, I've been in leadership a long time. I've been around a lot of conflict. I've dealt with a lot of conflict. So I actually had two business guys uh, here at the church years ago who were in a business deal together and they got sideways with each other and uh, they decided that they were going to, to try this with Jesus teaching. And so they asked if I would mediate uh, between them. And it was a difficult conversation and it took place over a couple, of, a couple of meetings, but in the end, we got to a place where there was agreement and the relationship was maintained and they both came away feeling like the thing worked out well, okay? So you bring other people into the, into the thing. If that doesn't work, it's still not over. She said, then, then go to the church, right? Go to the church. What would that look like? You know, I put two chairs up here, got conflicting people, and, you know, we get you guys together, and, you know, we go at it. You're cheering, you know, holding up, you know, signs, thumbs up, thumbs down. No, that's not it. Right? But we do as a church, we have a process Right? We have a lead team And so people um, who are wise and in, in a position of leadership here um, We would bring it to them And we might even bring Somebody from uh, the denomination You know, one of the denominational leaders To come to be a part of that Because the goal is Restoration To reconnect people To stay together The uh, The band's gonna come up and and kind of lead us out. Um, And as they're getting set up, just this reminder, you know, conflict is normal, it's natural, it's going to happen. What is your perspective on it? Do you view it really as an opportunity for disaster? Or do you view it as an opportunity to make things better? Do you view the win as getting your way? Or do you view the win as honoring God through the process? Are you willing to humble yourself? right, To say, what's going on in me? What are my motives? What's driving my behavior, my thoughts, my actions? Are they aligned with God? And then am I willing to go and work this through as a process with the goal of restoration. When we do that, it really is a conflict revolution.